Um, so this morning we return to John's Gospel. It's been four weeks since we've been there. We uh, took a week off for our for our officer ordination and, and two weeks for Easter. And we and we come back to John chapter eight this morning, picking back up where we left off with with verse forty eight. But it's been a few weeks, and so. It's helpful to reset the scene for us. This is one extended conversation. It's an extended conversation about truth. It's about truth and about abiding in the word, keeping the word. In this conversation that we were engaged in some weeks ago, we saw that the Jews rejected truth, uh, the truth that Jesus gave them. So Jesus responded by, by, by giving them some, some pretty pointed statements, some hard statements. Statements like, you are of your father the devil. Uh, your father the devil was a murderer and a liar. He said pointed things like, you do not hear my words because you are not of God. These were hard truths, spoken by Jesus in love, meant to, to draw them, but hard truths spoken nonetheless. They hurt on some level, not on others. And so they responded, as we'll see today, with name-calling. We pick up in John 8, verses 48 through 59. This is the inerrant and infallible word. Of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, this is, this is your word. It's the word of Christ. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear, to receive, that we might keep 
this word of the gospel. Transform us by it today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So a few years ago, uh, I remember an occasion going to the doctor, and, and I'll just add, it was not a doctor in this congregation. <laughs> um, but I am, I'm sort of accustomed to, you probably are as well, having to wait at the doctor, so I usually bring some reading material, and this particular time going to the doctor, I had, uh, was doing some studies, so I brought my Bible, I was, I was doing a little Bible study, and did that out in the waiting room, we got into the, to the room to, to see the doctor, and and he came in, and so when he came in, I, I, uh, I closed my Bible and I set it down on, uh, on the ground so that I could listen to him. At that point, he rather condescendingly said to me, I have a high view of the Bible. And so then he made a big show of reaching down on the ground and picking up the Bible and said, if you don't mind, I'm going to put this up here. He did that. And then he went about his business. <laughs> it was kind of a stinging rebuke, misguided as it was. As he spoke of his high view of the Bible. I, I don't know the man's heart, though I've had some occasion to be around him outside of that instance. And it makes me wonder at times, do we mistake reverence for the word with reverence for an object of faith. What's the difference between reverence for the word of God and reverence for an object of faith? This text sort of draws that out for us a bit and it asks the question of us that we must deal with today and quite frankly the days after. And it's this, what will we do with the word of God the difference between the word of God as a life-giving truth and the word of God as a religious relic? What is that truth? If we go back to verse 31, <clears throat> the, the last time we were in John's gospel account where this conversation to some extent started, it actually started back in verse 12, but but heated up a bit in verse 31. We see that there was a conflict here between Jesus and the Jews over truth. Over truth and, and abiding in the word. And ultimately, today we see that that, that conflict came to uh, uh, a powerful conclusion and the climax of the discussion uh, later. Jesus dealt with this conflict, but through it all, where we were in the last time and where we are today, Jesus is saying to them and to us that hearing the word, truly hearing the word, is rooted in relationship. Hearing the word of God is rooted in relationship with the author of the word, and Jesus says, you don't have it relationship that is and as a result you don't have faith you don't have truth that was the accusation that actually ended uh, last time in verse 47 the reason why you do not hear uh, them 
uh, is that you are not of God. Their response to Jesus' truth statement was name-calling. <laughs> we opened in verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa. And so for the Jews to call Jesus a Samaritan was to, was to offer a, a racial slur. Samaritans were the offspring of the intermarriage between the northern tribes of Israel and the Assyrians. So when the Jews would call Jesus a Samaritan, they were essentially saying, you are not pure like us, are you? It was a dig as they looked down on him rather condescendingly. Jesus has been speaking truth to them, and they couldn't bear the truth. They also couldn't refute it. So they responded by punching back. You're an impure Samaritan and you've got a demon. Jesus responded with truth. He didn't defend. He spoke of his honor of honoring the Father. And in doing so, he's connecting to where he was last time, speaking of their father, the devil. And he is essentially saying, hey, we're not done yet with that conversation. So he speaks the word. He speaks the word to, him, to them, and we also receive that word. In doing so, he goes directly to the impact of word keeping. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Keep the word, and you will not die. It's a profound spiritual truth, one that they profoundly misunderstood. Again, they didn't hear Truth, because they didn't have a relationship with the truth giver. Hearing truth is, is rooted in relationship. And here they prove it. They hear the words that Jesus is speaking, but they stay on the surface. They mistake his meaning for mere physical death at the end of our earthly existence. And when I say mere, I, I do not, nor does Jesus mean to minimize the the reality of death. It is a result of the fall and would bring Jesus to tears. In John 11, at the death of his friend, Lazarus. Jesus is not minimizing death, and I'm not minimizing death when I speak of mere physical death at the end of our earthly existence. But that is not what Jesus is speaking of here. speaking truth. He's speaking of something far more permanent, something far worse than mere physical bodily death at the end of our earthly existence. He is speaking of the judgment of God. The judgment that will come from the judge. Jesus is speaking of eternal separation from God 
and His love. Jesus is speaking of the wrath of God that is justly poured out on sinners like you and me. He is speaking a terrifying truth. But He's also proclaiming a profound grace. Verse 51 is a grace because the Word of God is true. In our experience, bears it out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. All of us have sinned against the Lord God Almighty. And as a result of our sin, the wrath of God is due to us. It's, it's meant to be poured out on us. But Jesus says that for those who keep his word, and that word is the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who by faith relationally have come to know and embrace the hope of Jesus Christ, for those who will not experience death, who will not taste that eternal separation from the love of God, they will not taste the eternal Wrath of God. And instead will experience pleasures forevermore. Will experience intimacy with God for all eternity. This is a word of truth. And that word of truth is a word of grace. For those who receive it by faith and keep it by faith. But the problem is. They heard the words, but they didn't hear the word. They couldn't keep the word because they didn't know its author. And so in their religious devotion, they developed their own impediments to keeping the word. To paraphrase verse 52. Jesus, you just proved our accusation. You are insane. Abraham died. Who do you think you are? As best I can tell, uh, the phrase sacred cows comes out of the Hindu tradition and religion. There's a lot of reasons behind that, but ultimately in Hindu religion, they have elevated the cow in society, actually, such that they give in India certificates of citizenship to cows, believe it or not. First time I traveled to India, <clears throat> my hosts were driving me from the airport into the city. And as we came into the, the city, and it's a big city, I looked up and, and there was a mid-rise building, multiple stories, and I looked several stories up, and there were cows looking out the window. It looked, for all the world, like a Chick-fil-A commercial shoot. <laughs> and so I asked my host, what in the world is going on there? He explained that the city leaders had decided to make a sort of park 
for the sacred cows that roamed the city. You see, cows were holy to them. They were untouchable. And as a result, they were given a building. (laughs) The Jews in John 8 had their own sacred cow, Abraham. They pinned their hopes on Abraham. He was for them an untouchable. They couldn't comprehend the gospel that Jesus was proclaiming to them and instead decided to stick with Abraham, stick with what they knew or who they knew. Maybe what they thought they knew about him. Because, you see, when you have a sacred cow, even a sacred cow like Abraham, it doesn't require a heart change. Simply some slight version of external veneration, a general connection to the cow, and then you're good. Now, don't misunderstand me. Abraham was a good man. Abraham was a patriarch. Abraham was an heir. He was a recipient of the promise. He's worthy of our admiration, but Abraham is not worthy of our worship. He was a good man. He was a bad sacred cow. You and I, we have our own versions. We have our own sacred cows, those untouchable people, things, ideas that we cling to because in clinging to them, they don't require us to change. Things like reputation. Things like my money, the way I relate to my money. Things like my sense of control, even elements of my theology that I hold up above Savior. What are they for you? I distinctly remember a season in my life where, like the Jews in verse 31, I believed Jesus. I had a pretty good Sunday school record. I had carefully crafted, um, or thought I had, a reputation in the community, and I thought to myself, I'm good. I'm good. But I also looked and I saw some other people who were really close to Jesus. And I kind of thought of them as the radicals. And I thought, I I don't want to get too close. Because if I do, then I might just become a Jesus freak. And if I get too close to him, then that's going to cause me to maybe rethink some things. It might force me to, to make some adjustments to my budget. It might change the way I think about relationships and vocation, it might cause me to let go of control. I'm not kidding. I remember having those exact thoughts. How about you? Have you had them? Do you have them now? Believe in Jesus, but let's keep him at some kind of distance so that it doesn't require too much of me. There actually is an honesty to that thought. There's an awareness that that if I enter into relationship with Jesus, something's going to change. And maybe there are certain things about my life that I don't want 
to change. So whatever those things are, those things that I hold on to, that you hold on to at all costs, those are our sacred cows. We hold on to them and keep Jesus at a polite distance. But don't miss this. In verse 31, we see that the people whom Jesus is talking with believed him on some level. Maybe they wanted to believe Jesus, at least a version of belief of Jesus, perhaps Jesus as helper more than Jesus as Lord. So rather than keeping his word, they held him at bay. They chose their sacred cows over the Savior. And we're tempted to do the same ourselves. Jesus spoke into that struggle in verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's part rebuke and part invitation. Abide is to remain. Beautifully to remain relationally connected. So Jesus says to to abide in the word instead of clinging to self-defined, self-affirming sacred cows. That's what he said the last time we were together in John. And guess what? The theme continues because it's the same conversation. There he spoke of abiding. Here he speaks of keeping. And Jesus tells us. How to keep the word. We keep the word by knowing God. What does it mean to keep the word? Is it like my doctor friend to to pick the Bible up off the floor and kind of tuck it away in a safe place where we don't trip over it? Is that what it means to keep the word? To keep it in a safe place? No. No, it means something much more personal. Something much more impactful. First, to keep the word is to receive it. It's to receive the word by faith. It's more than mere knowledge about the word. It's receiving the word in our hearts. It's receiving what the word of God says about God. It's receiving what the word of God says about me, the sinner. It's not receiving what the word of God says about God's wisdom and grace in terms of my salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is to receive the promise of the Redeemer. Keep the word is to receive the word by faith, but it is also to obey the word. We think of obedience as a four-letter word in the church, particularly the church that's so strongly proclaims the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to obey is to respond, is to be impacted by this word. The word of God is meant to reach the untouchable parts of my heart. That's what obedience is. Obedience is to receive and to respond to this word so that it actually impacts the way I live my life. That's obedience. 
So we keep the word by obeying the word. When we obey the word, it reaches those sacred cows deep in our hearts and sends them out to pasture. Because the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And to keep it means to obey it. But lastly, to keep the word, or lastly I'll add here, is to guard it as a priority in your life. I don't mean merely to protect your Bible study time, though do that. I don't mean merely to protect your, your morning devotional quiet time, but do that. That is part of it, but I'm speaking more broadly of protecting against the temptation to water down and minimize the Word of God in our lives. Because the, the theme that we've seen in John 8, the theme that, that Michael spoke of the last time when he preached through John 8, 31 through 47, and the theme that continues today is the theme of truth. And keeping the word of truth is the theme that runs throughout. But this is not a discussion of truth in the abstract. It's not some sort of intellectual discussion where we just kind of are interested about a topic. It is a deeply relational thing, a deeply relational truth. Because as I've said and will repeat, truth is relationally rooted. Verse 54 and 55, Jesus tells us how to keep the word. Jesus answered them, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. This is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. Jesus speaks of knowing God. And in verse 55, this knowing is not knowing about God. It's knowing him intimately, relationally. It's the knowing that is used to speak of the intimacy of knowledge that exists between husband and wife. Jesus is saying, I keep the word because I know the author of the word. And in speaking of this knowledge, Jesus goes on to revisit their sacred cow. He challenges them by going back to Abraham and challenging them about what was most true of him. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. In what sense did, did Abraham see Jesus' day? Was it that in the experience of the birth of his son Isaac, even in his old age, he came to realize and finally understand the promise that God had made to him so many years before when he promised to bless him and through him to bless the nations? Was it that in the birth of Isaac, Abraham saw beyond Isaac to another offspring? The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and understood that the Lord would one day provide the Redeemer who would crush the head of the serpent. Was that how Abraham saw and rejoiced in the day of Jesus? Or was it that in glory, Abraham stood face to face with the pre-incarnate Christ, 
I don't know. And it ultimately doesn't matter. But what Jesus is saying in truth is that Abraham's hope, his hope of promise, was rooted in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. But the Jews were blinded by their sacred cow. They couldn't receive this word, and so they responded incredulously. And in doing so, they, they revealed their lack of depth. And in this conversation, they questioned his age. Jesus, who do you think you are? You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? At that point, Jesus offers the mic drop of all mic drops. Verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You, you've heard, that we've seen a couple of times already in John's gospel that John highlights these, these statements that Jesus made intentionally because Jesus is hearkening back to Exodus 3.14 when Moses encountered the Lord at the burning bush. And the Lord called Moses to go and, and lead his people out of Egypt. And, and Moses said, whom shall I say has sent me? And the Lord said, tell them, I am sent me. I am. It's the covenant name of God the, God, the name that God gives to those people whom he calls his own. I am in the New Testament, Yahweh in the Hebrew. And when Jesus takes on that name and these I am statements, he's making a declaration of his deity. Throughout John's gospel, we see these I am statements as this combination of Jesus' deity along with a description of some attribute of his life. So we saw it last in verse 12 of chapter 8. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In those, they didn't get what he was saying, but here they do. There is no mistaking Jesus' meaning here in John 8, 58. They hear it and they are incensed because they know that Jesus is not just saying, I'm old. Jesus is saying, I am God the Son. They heard it. They understood it. They felt the weightiness of it. There was no confusion and they picked up stones to kill him because... Penalty for blasphemy with stoning. But there's no judicial hearing going on in this case. This is mob rule, but it wasn't yet Jesus' time. How did he get out of there? How did he escape? I don't know. It ultimately doesn't matter. What does matter is this. What we must deal with is this. They heard the word of truth, and they understood it. Yet they rejected. How about us? Will we hear and reject or will we hear and receive? In the beginning I asked the question, what will we do with the word? Will we know the truth? Will we abide in truth? Will we keep God's word? Will we let the word of Christ have its way in our very lives? Or will we place it on the shelf with the rest of our sacred cow collection? 
Jesus confronted the religious people who believed on some level and he drew them into something deeper. He called them to a saving knowledge of truth marked by an abiding union with him, God the Son. And many, if not most, resisted and they chose Abraham instead. And in that there is a sad irony. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul connects the dots for us that they missed. Galatians 3, 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul is telling us that if you are Christ's, if you are in Christ, if you are in the Redeemer relationally, then... You are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. Then and only then are you Abraham's offspring. And then and only then are you heirs according to the promise of life eternal. Brothers and sisters, what Jesus is telling us, what Paul reminds us is that hearing truth is relationally rooted. Keeping truth is relationally rooted. Rooted in a relationship with the Word incarnate. And so let us cast out our sacred cows. Let us send them out to the pasture. Let us cling. Cling to life in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Father, this is, this is your powerful word of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Give us hearts to keep. This word for your glory and our good. In Christ's name.